Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, friends, Happy New Year and Happy Epiphany. It's good to be together this morning celebrating uh, my brother. When we were growing up, he used to call the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You probably heard me say this before, the golden Frankenstein hammer. Uh, I always think of that every time we celebrate this feast day. So I probably shared this before, but back in 2017, myself and uh, 10 other priests, we made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. There's 11 of us. It was absolutely incredible, uh, just 11 just priests from Cleveland, and uh, it was really nice because it was, it was a small group, and uh, it was just incredible. But if you ever get a chance, by the way, to go to the Holy Land, uh, go. Absolutely go. It's, it, it'll change the way you hear the scriptures. It'll change the way you just picture everything, right? They, they, just, they call it the fifth gospel, right? It's unbelievable to be in the places where the events took place. In fact, what's really neat about the Holy Land is when you go to celebrate Masses in all these different places, you don't celebrate the Mass of the day. You celebrate what's called the Mass of the place. So, for example, when we went to uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Tabor, you go up the mountain and, and they got the church at the top of the mountain, and in the sacristy, they've got binders with all these different languages. And you pull out the binder in English. It's got the readings in English, the prayers in English. It's always the Feast of the Transfiguration on the top of that mountain in that church. And you read in those scriptures. and You don't read what we typically hear. Jesus led Peter, James, and John up a high mountain. It's he led them up this mountain. And you're like, holy smokes, <laughs> this mountain, right? Unbelievable. So I, uh, I just share that because one of the first trips, one of the first stops that we made on our pilgrimage was to Bethlehem, right? So it's a 13-hour f- flight from uh, Newark to Tel Aviv, and you're jet-lagged as all get out, and they load you on a bus, and you drive a few hours from Tel Aviv to Bethlehem. And then, like a good tour company, they, the first stop they took us to was to a gift shop. Um, they're like, these guys are exhausted, and they're eager, and they still got wallets full of cash. Let's get them in front of our gift shop, which all of our relatives own. So anyway, so we go to Bethlehem. There's this ancient basilica built over the site of Christ's birth. We know it's the site of Christ's birth because St. Helen, Constantine's mom, when Christianity became the official religion of the empire, she went back to the Holy Land, and uh, basically she asked the locals, where was Christ born? Where was Christ killed? Where was he buried? Um, and they had maintained in, in living memory the location of all these places. And it also helped that the Romans, in order to try and wipe out Christianity, built massive shrines over all of these Christian spots. So there was a massive shrine, uh, I forget to which uh, Greek god, but built over the site in, in Bethlehem. She was like, okay, well, it's obviously there. So they tore that shrine down, built a Christian shrine. So there's ancient basilica in Bethlehem. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. <clears throat> you know, one of the things that I've, I've, I've been blessed to be able to do in my life, both as a seminarian and as a priest, is to travel to a lot of incredible churches. I lived in Rome for five months when I was in seminary and got to see all the big, big, beautiful basilicas and churches in, in Europe. And uh, they all have one thing in common, these massive, massive, ornate entryways. Right? You go to St. Peter's Basilica, huge doors, right? They've got the Jubilee doors that open every thousand years. 
You go to uh, Notre Dame, huge doors. You go to the Duomo in Milan, huge doors, huge entryway. So imagine my surprise coming to Bethlehem, coming to the Basilica of the birth of Christ, and there's no huge door. There's no huge entryway. There's one small door, so small, in fact, that only one person can go through it at a time, and it's very short. It's a very low door, so low, in fact, that you have to literally, average-sized person has to stoop to walk through it. It's very small. This was done deliberately to prevent the enemies of Christianity from storming into this sacred site, also to prevent them from riding on horseback into the church to desecrate it. But there's a deeper meaning. There's a deeper meaning behind this, too, because anybody who wishes to come encounter Christ Anybody who wishes to encounter the Christ child has to stoop. The only way to meet him, the only accessible path to encounter the real living Jesus is through a posture of vulnerability, a posture of humility, a posture that says, I will decrease bending down. This is what we learned from the Magi in this feast that we're celebrating today, these wise men who didn't lift themselves up in all of their knowledge, all of their worldliness. They didn't say, you know, what, a king in Bethlehem? That's not where kings are from. They didn't say, what, a king lying in a manger? Obviously not, no. They came, they followed the star in obedience, they laid prostrate, they adored. These men were so wise that they knew that they didn't know everything. That's real wisdom. And so they stooped, they bent low. They came to Jerusalem, right? They came to Jerusalem traveling with their heads lifted up, looking to the heavens, looking to the sky, looking to the star. But as they entered the house, that, <clears throat> there was a movement from up high to down low. They're looking up here and then they look down here. They had to stoop, they had to look down low. And that's where they saw him. So in this basilica, hey, by the way, start praying for my voice because it's like evaporating as I'm preaching, okay? All right. In the basilica of the nativity, there's this incredible detail in the grotto. So you go into the basilica, there's this floor from the fourth century, this mosaic floor that um, is being preserved with plexiglass. You walk across this floor, you go to the end of the basilica, and you start making your way down this spiral staircase, And you end up into this grotto, this cramped room with all of these oil lamps and candles, and there's what appears to be a hearth. Like, you would think, is that a fireplace? No, it's not a fireplace. It's not a hearth. It's this shrine covered in marble. That's what they would do. They would shrineify these these holy sites. There's this shrine, and on the ground is this beautiful silver star. There's a star on the ground. There's a hole cut in the center. You can reach your hand through the hole to touch the actual rock surface, right, from the first century. And surrounding the star is this Latin inscription, which says, Hic de Virgine Maria Jesus Christus Natus Est. And for those of you who don't speak Latin, here, Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. I couldn't get that star out of my mind as I was praying about this feast today because like the star, the star that was way up there 
is now way down here, way down here, like on the ground, in the earth, in the mud. The star that was up there, it's, it's now in a location where stars aren't supposed to be, right? Stars aren't supposed to be on the ground, but that's where the star is. Like the wonder of this solemnity, the wonder of this feast that we're celebrating today is that if we follow those stars which God has put into our world, those things that call us out of ourselves, those things that beckon us, those things that move us, that, that stir our longings, that, that longing for more, all of that, if we have the courage to follow them, we will be led not up to the heights, but shockingly, we will be led down to encounter him who is not hidden beyond the heights, but he's down here. Like the star is on the earth. That's what, it's the incredible fact of this feast. Like you look at the manger scene, like there's a star on it, right? The star is on the ground. Let me, I just want to try and make this point a little bit clearer. So you know, you know I love etymology, like the origins of words, where words come from, the meanings of words. So the meaning of the word desire, the word desire, it's like several, several origins, but it comes from the Latin desire, meaning from the stars or to the stars. It also is from the French desire, meaning from the Father. The word desire means both from the stars and also from the Father, which is so powerful for us to contemplate because God has placed in our hearts all sorts of desires, all sorts of desires. And when we have the courage to let ourselves feel them, we recognize how big they are, that they are leading us beyond this world. So the infinite, right? Because they're from the Father. And if we follow those desires all the way, we discover him, the one who awoke the desire in the first place, has put himself in our grasp. That's the wonder of Christianity. This is the, this is the astounding difference of Christianity, that while every other world religion is saying, go on this quest, this moral perfection, virtue seeking, Christianity is saying, no, no, no. It's a pilgrimage from heaven to earth. This is a, a quote from Lorenzo Albacete. He was a close personal friend of John Paul II's. Listen, listen to what he has to say. The whole heart, the scandal, the newness the stunning wonder of the Christian proposal and announcement is that the word, the logos, the meaning, the sense, the beauty, the truth, the goodness, the destiny, the logos has become flesh. The eternal, in other words, the infinite, everything which my heart seeks, all of those stars in my life which beckon me, which call me, which move me, all of that has now revealed itself in the flesh. The stars on the ground the star is on the ground. Like the star has come to you, right, in this mass. The one who's beyond the stars has come to you within your grasp. I think about these magi. They, scholars say the journey probably took them about two years. About 800 to 1,000 miles they traveled. And I imagine that when they finally got there and they saw this baby, they realized how little in comparison they had actually traveled. And like holding these gifts of immense value, they realized how they paled in comparison to the treasure that was in front of them. And that's why they lay prostrate. Because the one who's beyond the stars came to them. 
the one who's the author of every desire, has come to them, has come to us. That's why they open their treasures. That's why they say, this is, like, Lord, this is all I have, and I lay it at your feet. That is why, having encountered him, they leave by a different road, because after you've encountered that love, you can't leave but changed. The same Jesus that they adored has come to us. The star is on the ground. And just like them, we have to stoop. We have to bend down, have to have humility to see and encounter that fallen star, right? Friends, the one who bends the lowest of all out of love for us is him. We're still supposed to be wondering and marveling at the the depths to which he went. This is why we sing, O come, let us adore him. Amen.